You're listening to the Saturday Morning RPG Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D- or RPG Show. Oh, Freudian slip. Uh, my name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle. This is another uh, special solo Jordan show. Um, as we're going to talk about mostly news today, um, I have I was almost about to start a Plan Gia game. Um, and then one player had to uh, cancel, and another player uh, is in Disneyland. So we were like, we're down two players. I'm going to see if I can find a replacement. But hello. Good morning. How are you guys today? Um, Mr. Jancy and Sky, you guys are always here. Thank you so much for being uh, just supportive and being out in the chat. That's awesome. Um, we have a few things to talk about here and there um oh i have my chat settings wrong there we go so i guess that the biggest thing to talk about is uh um delver and below the shattered obelisk is out and if i switch over to my second camera um yeah thank you for watching First of all, you guys, well, here, we'll go over here to my second camera. Uh, is it this one? Yeah. So these are all my, my D&D Beyond characters that I've played over the years um, or have just made because I thought it would be fun. Uh, yeah, go into camera two. Let's uh, head over to the Skycam, see how it's going today. Um, but I wanted to go sources and adventures. It says Fandelver and Blow coming soon. Um, but it is, in fact, out. Like, here's the whole shebang. So, <clears throat> I don't know. This is kind of interesting because a lot of people are, they're going crazy for this. Uh, more so than any other D&D adventure that I, it's been a while. It's been since maybe Tomb of Annihilation that people have been this excited. Uh, and I wonder if it's that familiarity of like a lot of people played uh, Lost Mine of Foundover. And so now they're excited about this. There's also the obelisk thing that's happening uh, again, and that's getting a lot more attention. Um, I am excited to read it, but I don't see the hype. It it just feels like another tie-in to other things uh, in a in a cash grab way, not a not an exciting way. Does that make? I don't. I don't even know if that makes sense, but. It has a lot of, uh, wow, Baldur's Gate 3 is doing this. And I know that, like, some of the D&D people worked on the story for Baldur's Gate 3. And Baldur's Gate 3 is good. Like, the story is good. There's lots of awesome stuff going on. Um, but it uh, it's like, well, we're going to use Mind Flares because they're using Mind Flares. We're going to do this. And if it feels to me like... Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, where that was like an unnecessary tie-in to Baldur's Gate 3, uh, when it didn't have to be. You could have just set everything in El Torel or near El Torel and make it a lot more interesting. Um, the the Merkel and the Dead 3 didn't really have to be it part of Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, except it's a major part of Baldur's Gate 3 and Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. And so they were like, oh, let's kind of combine everything together. So, I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> I guess I need to read it. It could be a really fun adventure. Um, but I wanted to look at, let's see just who, uh, the cover art again is fun. Um, let's go to the very beginning. Do I go to the sources? No. How do I see the credits? I want to see, oh, credits, here we go. I want to like, who wrote this? So Amanda was the project lead. Amanda's been doing a lot of the interviews. She used to work for Kobold Press, and I met her at Gen Con two Gen Cons ago. Not this last one, but the one before. We actually played uh, True Dungeon together, um, and she seems very nice. Um, and then, yeah, so, but, like, in these are all the illustrators. The art is always fantastic. It's super fun. Um, going through, I don't know, like, oh, editor, rules editor, writers, haha. 
do I oh okay to Armis or Meckman and Manda and Christopher Perkins so and uh this is uh my son he decided to pop in and say hello can you say hi to everybody hi yeah can you go bug your mom while I'm doing a show yeah okay thank you <laughs> oh gotta get your blocks it's just what has to happen on Saturday mornings so um good people worked on it so, I mean, it could be really good. And uh, like I always say, I think Christopher Perkins writes the best adventures. So, yeah, Jordan Jr., he's coming out. Um, uh, oh, sorry, Sky, I'll have to get you to co-host. <laughs> so, and I can take a lot of questions today because it's just me. So, Lost Mind was for a campaign I played in, so I have fond memories. Yeah. Uh, if I was coasting, I would walk him through a session zero and show him how I introduce, interview, and character world creation. There you go. I mean, it'll be lots of fun stuff. So we'll see. Um, I did go through, oh, Story Tracker, that's fun. Um, I did go through this, and I went specifically to the very end of the Netherese Obelisks. And, uh, oh, hi. And there is, I just lost it. No, there we go. Um, there's some information on the Weavers, which I think this is like the first art we have had for the Weavers for fifth edition, at least, uh, they're very mysterious four arm, six armed creatures. Um, and they're just straight up giving us the answers to the questions. Now they're not trying to be sneaky about it, uh, which is fine. Um, Oliver can co-host. Yeah, he'd be great. Like, he's already making up his own rules for games, which uh, is the D&D &D way. So, um, so yeah, there's more information on this, but not a lot. I was hoping that this adventure would give us, like, the big reveal of the obelisks. And although they are spelling it out, um, I think the, the big reveal will still involve Vecna and the... 2024 50th anniversary collector's edition thing um because this was this adventure seems to be oh look we found another obelisk it does something weird and magical and we can uh use that and then the story revolves around that obelisk and that somebody found it and they're using it for some purpose that it was not intended for but we don't know its true intention um, but then it gives us basically like, hey, Tomb of Annihilation, there's um, an obelisk. In Storm of the King's Thunder, there's an obelisk. Waterdeep, there's an obelisk. Out of the Abyss, there's an obelisk. Um, so not super scattered. And I think my video has even more obelisks that are like seemingly hidden about. Um, but these are the big ones. And they're also the ones that get the most interaction. So, I mean, the art's still really cool. I'm not knocking the adventure. I haven't read it yet. Um, but yeah, I do have a copy coming in the mail. Um, I have it here on D&D Beyond, but I don't know if I, I just don't like reading on, I like prepping on the computer. I don't like reading a book on the computer. So that is where we're at for that. So that's Fandle Over Below. It's out digitally right now. Um, and you can get, uh, the hard copy September, mid-September, I think, late, mid-late September. So, um, Yeah. Um, the other big thing in the the world of Dungeons and Dragons is UA7 came out. So this was interesting because they, for the first time, they did a, prom well, they pre-recorded this interview, and that's not unusual, but they did a premiere. And so it wasn't just a video to watch that was up. It was a premiere, lots of people in the chat. I hear lots of people were in the chat being real salty. Um, and calling this, like, it's not a new edition. A lot of people are pulling back. Um, or not a lot of people, but, like, it seems like Wizards of the Coast is pulling back a lot of the changes they were instigating. And this, uh, this new edition, as they are calling it, feels more and more like... Um, it feels more and more like D&D 1.5. Like, they're just... They're fixing kind of things. There are some quality of life improvements, but we are we're not we're not revising the game on a on a fundamental level, which is fine. The game is okay. 
like I'm all for quality of life en- uh, enhancements. That's really cool. Um, it just feels kind of odd that it's been marketed this way. And maybe they really had plans on doing X, Y, and Z and the feedback and stuff is not there. Uh, and so they they went back. I can't fault them for that. Like as I was working on little bits of game design here and there, uh, you start writing stuff and you might, like I wrote an entire thing that I was like, well, this is unusable. But, like, I learned a lot about doing it, you know? And so if they if they write a bunch of stuff and they put it out there and it's just not generating with people, then, yeah, like, why 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 force it down the throats of the of the players and stuff? So it doesn't make any sense. So uh, it's kind of what I think a lot of 5e fans wanted where the 50th anniversary, the 2024 Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide and stuff will just be, like, a collector's edition revised version and it's funny because i'm like that's that's really what everybody wanted like you oh you fixed monsters and and uh cr calculation awesome just put that in the newer editions of the books if you uh want to clean up the dungeon master's guide so it actually has uh well it's it's like clear for the dungeon master and it actually gives you tips on how to run the game rather than just being a magic item resource do it you know uh and then that's the dungeon master's guide going forward we don't need to call it something else so yeah i don't know i i'm i'm really curious having uh, a lot of these books i think it will allow us to have the older adventures and play them um for a long time to come regardless of uh, new additions, you know? And a lot of people were like, I don't know if this can work. I was always on the boat saying that I think the backwards compatibility will work. Well, I shouldn't say that. Somebody's going to find a clip and be like, you didn't think that. But I do think that. Case in point was because I played Lex Mandrake's D&D 5B, which is his basic version of 5E that he came out with. And we play as that, and, like, the, the fundamental skeleton is there, and as long as they keep that skeleton, which the skeleton is, like, your six core stats, profic- proficiency bonus, and then at every level you kind of have a max damage cap. And that isn't um, very aware for everybody. But, uh, like, it's not explicitly stated in the rules, but it is there. And if you adhere to those steps, you can have a a pretty balanced character and I think that they are adhering to those steps um, in some capacity there's always going to be classes that like overshine other classes or power combos that is the inevitability of creating a game but I think overall it it will work um, so I watched the live stream this is the player's handbook playtest 7 and I think we're getting another player's handbook playtest and then we're getting Dungeon Master's Guide slash Monster Manual playtests, which I don't know if we're going to get more Monster Manual stuff uh, because I think they got a lot of that testing out of the way for Monsters of the Multiverse. And because of that, we won't have a lot of Monster Manual testing, I don't think. But I do think that we'll have um, some DMG testing, but it'll be very light. They said that they were going to release these in 2024. It really means that we're going to see the player's handbook in like six months, I think. And then the DMG or the the monster manual and then the DMG all culminating into a box set that you can get at Christmas. So we'll, we'll see. Um, Oh, 5e is getting redesigned for new players. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm all for making it more accessible. So I think that's fine, but yeah. Um, so yeah, one thing that I, I was going over this and it's just bugging me a lot. Um, and I I was watching Ted's stream. He was live streaming about the changes. And let me find the, uh, it's the weapons that I want. Weapons and feats, short rest. Telepathy, unarmed strike, 
Can I find it? Oh, and other people were calling this is 5BG3. So this is D&D Baldur's Gate 3 edition. Because a lot of things in Baldur's Gate 3, they're adapting for this. Um, which is funny. So the gaming community has come out. This is a tangent. Uh, but the the gaming community has come out and found all these like fun little exploits in Baldur's Gate 3. I shouldn't even call them exploits. It's just kind of like... You, you start putting like, oh, I get this condition and this condition and things happen. One of them being is, oh my gosh, if you knock someone prone and you can entangle them or reduce their speed to zero for whatever reason, if they're prone, they can't spend half their speed to get up and they are just permanently prone. And I was like, that that totally would work in D&D 5e. Like, why have I never thought of that? I'm sure somebody has, but like, that's, holy cow, like... Like, reduce someone's speed to zero. Like, how many times has an ability been like, yeah, it reduces your speed to zero, but there's no there's no benefit, really? I'm like, I don't know. My speed's zero. I can still shoot a bow. But if I am prone, then I have, like, disadvantage on certain attacks and things like that. And I was like, actually, that's kind of cool. And so there were little things like that that came out that made me think of I should I, – I like that the gaming community is doing that, that they're coming up with – fun stuff so the specifically here we are so we have these weapon properties and these mastery properties so heavy is interesting because it's not about um it well you 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 have disadvantage on attack rolls uh with a heavy weapon if it's a melee weapon and your strength score isn't 13 or if it's a ranged weapon and your dex isn't at least 13 this I didn't really care for um, because I like the idea of, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Like, especially the rate, the ranged heavy weapon, you have to have a high dex. I'm like, no, make it a high strength, but I, we'll see. I, maybe it works really well in play test. Um, and then the light weapon is fun thrown. Um, do we not have like medium weapons anymore? Is that, oh, these are properties. Okay. So the mastery properties are what I wanted to talk about. So if your attack roll with this weapon misses, you can deal damage to that creature equal to your ability modifier. That's fine. When you make an extra attack with a light weapon, you can make it as part of an attack action with a bonus action. Um, that's fine. Pushing is fine. Sap. So if you hit a creature with this weapon, that creature has disadvantage on its next attack roll before the start of your next turn. Slow. If you hit a creature with this weapon, they are slowed by 10 feet. Um... Creatures of prone addiction. Vex. If you hit a creature with this weapon and deal damage, you have advantage on your next attack roll. Not so much Vex, but definitely Sap and Slow. I have had so many times where players are bards and they're casting um, the, the bard song stuff that gives you disadvantage or, on things or like bardic inspiration. And this is one of those where I'm like, oh, but I, I hit that so it's got, like, sap. And I'll look down at the, uh, the board and there's, like, you know, 15 monsters. I'm like, well, which one did you hit? And they're like, I don't know. And this is becoming – this is creating a more complex game for unnecessary reasons. Like, yes, the idea of it is cool. I can hit somebody with my weapon and I have weapon mastery so I can sap them so they can do this. But – Boy, tracking all of that, especially when it's one monster and you're fighting like a whole bunch of monsters at once. And that probably is a problem in 5e with warlocks and wizards with frost and all this other stuff. Uh, but I was just thinking about the amount of condition tokens that you're going to put on a specific creature is going to get ridiculous. And we already have like, oh, he's hexed. Oh, he's slowed. Oh, he's this. And then the joke in chat when I was on, I was talking about this with other people in Ted's stream um, is like, we're going to have condition ring the monster and it'll just be like a stack of seven condition rings. And that, that is the monster that you're fighting. So I, I don't know if I like some of these. I like the idea of them. We have a, um, definitely a squeaky toy going on upstairs. I apologize for that if you can hear it. Um, but I don't, I don't like that we have to track them. And the answer pretty much was, we'll have the players track them. The players can track the conditions. 
But when you have 10 minis and they all look like goblins and we don't know, they don't know which goblin got moved where or they got up to get a drink. I, I want the player to track that, but I don't think they'll do a good job. And then you're going to just get condition ring the game, which is what it feels like. There's probably a better design for it. I don't know. I'm not coming up with it. I shouldn't belittle this, but it doesn't, I don't know if, if this is for me, um, especially sap and slow. It just kind of annoys me, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then yeah, bus, bosses can shrug it off. I don't know. Or is that actually the, and then another thing about this is some of them have, um, Saving throws, which is going to burn through uh, legendary resistances if you want to do that. The other big thing about this is counterspell. And I hate counterspell. A lot of people know this <laughs> because it's like, will I counterspell you? Will I counter your counterspell? And then the third guy's like, will I counter your counter your counterspell? And then all of a sudden we wasted like seven spell slots. And then we get down to it being like, oh, I guess he does get to roll. Or like, oh, it doesn't roll. And it's like, wow, was that really worth it, spending all of this? So this way, spell slots are, or counterspell is a saving throw. And me, the wizard, me, the magic user, I cast a spell. Or, okay, so the enemy lich casts a spell, and it uses an action. And I'm like, I don't want you to do that, so I counterspell. They make a saving throw. And it's not like I'm going to counterspell up to six level. I'm going to do this. Like it's from what I read, it's just counterspell. And so I spend my level three counterspell. They roll a saving throw. And if they fail, then they've wasted their action. Uh, but they keep the spell slot. And that is something that I, I think was really important because you are delaying that effect and you know what they tried to do. But you don't have, um, what's the word? Like, yeah, you're delaying the effect, but you, and you know what they can do, but you didn't take the danger away. They can still do this. But now that's new information. Um, and hang on, my, my boy is crying. I'm gonna go get him. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, child is okay. He was upset because uh, my my his mother took away his whistle, so he couldn't whistle very loudly during the show. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that is the appropriate thing. Thank you." Um, so he was sad that he couldn't make a lot of noise. Kids, they're great. So uh, where was oh counterspell? So counterspell, you're gonna have. Uh, it's going to be a saving throw. It removes the initial threat, but like the danger is still there. But I like the idea that there's more, um, there's more information on the playing field. So it's like, oh my gosh, he, he can do what now? I'm going to cast silence. We need to like shuffle him into the silence area so that we're like, Ooh, I like that. I also like that they got rid of spell mastery doesn't include bonus action spells or reaction spells, so you can't, uh, it only includes action spells, so I can't spell mastery shield constantly, I can't spell mastery counterspell constantly, um, and I, I like that, so, but I, and then this, another way of this is that with, uh, counterspell, I can use legendary resistances to overcome your counterspell, so from a DM standpoint, I think I like it a lot more. Like, I think that's good. So, but, uh, I mean, we'll wait and see. And it's one of those things where I, I was a little confused why I didn't house rule it like that earlier, you know? Uh, it just kind of makes more sense. Now the big question is, do I have a demiplane? Uh, I don't. Okay. I was like, do I have a do I have a, do I have a demiplane account? Um, I couldn't remember if I did or not. But this is cool. So demiplane, let me switch over again. Uh, demiplane wants me to log in, but I just want to go back to demiplane. Can I just go to demiplane.com, please? Um, 
Here we go. So uh, they quietly announced that there is um, 5e is coming to Demiplane. So if you don't know, Demiplane is Adam Bradford, who created D&D Beyond uh, and did a lot of the partnership with WotC and stuff. He left after fandom bought D&D Beyond and was like, uh, I'm out. And then because he just he's controlling I, a lot of CEOs do this where they they start a, a company and they're really good at starting a company, but they're not like really good at maintaining the company and then other people step in they're just like you got the ball rolling like i'll take it from here so we'll see we'll see how it works uh but he left and created uh demiplane and now demiplane has this 5e nexus so they were very big with pathfinder and stuff but the big thing here is that um they're gonna have 5e tools and you can buy the Taldorai Reborn, which is the exact same Taldorai Reborn that is on D&D Beyond. So now we're seeing that D&D Beyond is taking third-party content. And although a lot of people were like, well, you know, Wizards of the Coast and Critical Role are best friends, uh, Taldorai Reborn is actively available other places. And that's pretty cool. So it's going to come down to one of those, like, do I, as a game designer, want, um, or not as a game designer, sorry. Do I, as a player and a dungeon master, we're all going to like start filtering out to, will I only use D&D Beyond? Will I only use Nexus? Will I only use Roll20? And I wish Lucian were here because he would be, he already is like, I don't want to leave Roll20 because that's where all of my stuff is. Um, and so it, I don't know. And we're, we're seeing this in a, uh, social media world where Twitter slash X, which is just the cesspool of the internet. Um, a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't want to go to a new one because I have to rebuild everything I've built. Like I have the audience here and like, let's think about YouTube. I mean, YouTube's awesome. I don't have a way of connecting with my audience outside of YouTube very easily. And so if YouTube decides to make terrible choices and I need to go to another platform, if I even if I go over to Twitch, I'm not like I don't I don't think I would have the same presence that I have here. Um, even if there was a YouTube clone, I would not have the same presence that I have on YouTube. And so it's hard to be like, wow, they, they built this thing for us and we're using it. And we, the people made it popular, you know, Demiplane is not, I mean, Demiplane's doing a service, but like, arguably I'm going to Demiplane or I'm going to D&D Beyond because I want the features that they have, but I also want uh, the D&D content or the Kobold Press content. So you're, you're going to get kind of like stuck in one and it makes me think of the illusion of choice where we we think this all is open and we have all of these choices and stuff. Uh, we don't in a way, you know, because when you make that one choice, you can't really get out of it. Although Demiplane's doing really cool stuff. I, I, the more I play online, which is very few, I want to do things like Albert Rodeo and Zoom or Discord video. I'm getting um, more tired of these things because they're making it very video gamey, um, which is fine for some people. It's just not fine for me. And I think the the last draw was like I was playing 5e and we sat down at the table and everybody opened up their Chromebook laptops and we just kind of type, type, type. And like, and then I was getting to the point where I'm like, oh, like, okay, bonus. I'll filter by bonus action. Like, what can I do? What am I missing? Um, and it just didn't feel like I was active at the table. It felt like I was kind of like, micro I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But yeah, Albert Rodeo, Discord is the best. Uh, and Sky, I'd, I probably do need a publicist. I'm trying to start that uh, email list that they always talk to you. But uh, I created a Substack, and uh, all of the – I've lost more emails than I've gained. I'll say that. Because <laughs> I don't think people – people don't want spam. They don't want emails. And although I'm not spamming constantly, it's one of those things where people see things. They're like, I'll unsubscribe. So Nexus is out. It it looks cool. Uh, I'm just excited that, that um, Taldoree – is on it because that means that 
critical role is willing to work with other people and in a way i think they're bigger than D D. <laughs> I think like it's it's kind of weird to say but i think they're they think they're bigger than D D. um let's go to a new tab and we'll head over to kickstarter um this is gonna default to dungeon denizens because that's the last project i was on uh recommended for me i want to look at dolmanwood that it's ending soon and or actually we can just look at a couple other kickstarters but i know gavin is uh oh did it finish already my dolmanwood my spelling it wrong dolmanwood dolmanwood haha oh it was yesterday i missed it Okay, so yes, Dolmanwood ended yesterday for $1.389 million, 10, over 10,000 backers. Holy cow. Um, so uh, super cool. And again, this is the um, Oliver in a Dragon costume mascot right there. Bam. Uh, a little boy, 100%. I uh, I don't know if he – I don't know how well you do. So I <laughs> – this is weird. So Dolmanwood, I don't know if I – I didn't back this because it's for the price. And I was talking about this with Lex and a couple other people. Um, I know it's three books. I know it's beautiful. I've spent just as much money on like a Monty Cook project. I should be okay with this. Uh, I think the problem was is that I already have the rules because it's old school essentials plus Dolmanwood. And don't get me wrong. The, the everything looks amazing and i'm all about presentation sometimes like look at this that is look i mean it's just beautiful but i didn't need it you know like i have the stuff i didn't feel like i needed it and even just the digital was 50 dollars to get the pdfs um i completely think it's worth it i want to i want to say like you know this is awesome they're doing good stuff uh exalt funeral awesome like his layout i mean everything's really cool this has been in the works for so long and i am reiterating again that having the passion behind a project can make it way more fun than trying to capitalize on nostalgia so the fact that this is like a new thing and and gavin loves it and he's just really cool and he's writing awesome stuff um it's also going to be available like something that makes a million dollars they're not going to be like and we'll never print it again so i was thinking um that i would pick it up at some point if it would if it would do that but i have so many rpgs that i'm not playing um and i don't know i didn't need another campaign setting i guess because i have the campaign setting i'm trying to run i have many many supplements to add various cities and jungles and forests and plains and caverns in my game i i don't know and i uh, as far as monsters i got my skirples uh monster overhaul book which i want to make a video about for the jocular junction which is probably one of the best uh osr monster books that i've ever had and it really just tells me like how to use a monster and and various ways and then the stats are very simple to incorporate into a lot of like osr type games uh one of my uh one of the guys on our kickstarter or on our kickstarter on our discord um he sent me a message about it he's just like i think this is the best monster book ever and i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pick it up because of you and so i picked up monster overhaul and it's really good and he was even saying I don't, I don't know if I need another monster book. And I'm like, you know what? I might not either, <laughs> uh, at least for uh, fantasy OSR RPGs, because it just has everything. Um, and as I'm designing games and stuff, there's a lot of things where it's like, this monster has AC as if it had hide armor. And you can kind of be like, oh, okay, so it's supposed to be middle of the ground-ish kind of a thing. So, sorry, that was a long-winded thing, but Dolmanwood. Uh, I thought it ended in a couple days. Apparently, it ended yesterday. But uh, keep an eye out on Exalted Funeral because I'm sure that it will be there at some point again. And it looks it looks pretty. Um, what other RPG projects are happening? I feel like there's so many. I think uh, 
Metis Creative, Metis Media are doing another one of their um, turkey ones. The One Ring Moria. Do I need to play Morkborg? Apparently, lots of people play it. I have never, I haven't picked it up. I haven't touched it. I haven't done anything about Morkborg. Um, I saw a lot of this for only crits, uh, Gilman's Guide to Speed, but I don't know anything about it. And Tome of Heroes and Enemies of the Valiant. Oh, Frog God Games. Okay. Tome of Horrors. That's different than Tome of Heroes. So there's always so many going on. Lots, lots of stuff. But you guys did talk about this one. Oh, this one's at five days to go. Moria through the doors of Durin. Almost at a million dollars. And this is the one ring. So what company makes this? Chaosium? Free League. Haha, <laughs> Free League. So Free League makes great games. Um, I, I imagine this would be amazing. If you, yeah, 5U player, uh, the core rules of Lord of the Rings for playing previous expansions are available as add-ons. And then the one ring. Oh, so we could play the 5E version or the one ring version. Or is the one ring 5E? I forget. Um, but if, oh, the Balrog of Moria. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this could be really cool. So shout out who said that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Chromie 192. Good job. The, I, this was not on my radio, but this is pretty cool. In the shadow of Casa Doom. I, I don't think I'll pick this up either. I don't, I'm not a big, I love Tolkien a lot. I'm not a big I want to play in the world of Tolkien, um, if that's interesting. Oh yeah, we're in um, we're in uh, Swedish money. I forget. So yeah, the One Ring. I mean, lots of people love it. I really enjoyed the Magic: The Gathering Lord of the Rings crossover. I thought that was really really awesome. Um, Vason is still one of my all-time favorite RPG setting book everything. Um, I'm surprised they don't have uh, Forbidden Lands on here as like a, hey, Forbidden Lands is cool. Oh, these are add-ons, so maybe they just don't have stuff for that, but pretty cool. Um, have I checked out D&D Shorts? Uh, Ryo oh, yeah, Ryoko's Guide to the Yokai Realms. I have not, um, but there was, a, there was a lot of people that were kind of like, this felt a little culture appropriation-ish i don't know uh being that he's british and white but um i i don't know i didn't i didn't really read a lot oh this is not an this isn't even out yet but he's got sixteen thousand followers yeah he's gonna be excited for it um hunt craft survive yeah a 400 place of kaiju battles, crafting mechanics, and player options inspired by ancient folklore and yokai legend. So, could be cool. Um, I met, I think his name's Will. Yeah, D&D Shorts Will. I met him uh, at Gen Con, and he seems like a nice guy. So, he's British, and that was it. But, like I said, I have lots of other stuff to go over. Lots of games. Lots of games to play, lots of supplements to read. Um, I, I bought The Darkest House, which is a system-neutral kind of horror-spooky thing that Monty Cook put out at Gen Con um, that I have still not read. I have to read Lost Mine of Fan, uh, Fandelver and Below, The Shattered Obelisk. Um, and I'm reading a book, lots of other things. So... Something else that was really cool. I went to uh, a silent movie last night, and there is a band that uh, they go around and they have made their own musical scores for said silent movie, and then you can watch the movie and they live play the music on stage. Uh, one of my favorite silent films that I saw back in my film school years when I was taking my singular film class, maybe my second, I think I took two film classes, but we're watching this film and they were like, this is the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It is a 1920s movie and is very influential for a lot of reasons, uh, German film and beautiful, like so cool. And I think I like it so much because it reminds me of theater. All the sets are painted uh, and it's kind of the first like, 
gotcha twist ending movie. I shouldn't have said that because it gives away, but it's 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 a slow burn. You'll be fine. Uh, but they had a poster. Look at this poster. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like, and then Invisible's, Invincible Czars is the name of the band. But uh, I had to get this. And they it was a double feature of this and Nosferatu. And it was so fun. But I can't wait. I need to get a frame for this and put it on my... Um, put it on my uh, my wall. So... Also, and it got me thinking, I was looking at all the people, all these German names that worked on um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I uh, now I have names for all of my future NPCs or characters because there were there were so many really, really good names. But you should definitely check it out. Um, it's weird. I'm going to talk about, yeah, I want to talk about Invincible uh czars but i don't necessarily this isn't like dnd related or gaming related but it was just really really cool let me see if i can bring up some of the... they also had the poster in black and white um but the color one was so good oh and so if you're also curious about this uh i think i think dr caligari the cabinet of dr caligari has inspired a lot of um games and stuff that I've written and read over the years. This is the first time I saw it in theater. Um, but uh, they have a download pay what you want version of the movie. So you can watch cabinet of Dr. Caligari um, with their score underneath pay what you want, which is really cool. Um, and they're, they're going around, they're doing their thing, but I wanted to see uh, shop. I think they have the posters here. Um, so there's the Caligari poster. Here was the black and white one, which I couldn't decide. I don't know. They're both really good. But that Nosferatu poster. Come on. Look at that. So good. Silent film, live score, 100th anniversary. So good. So um, they... Uh, have a couple of keyboard synthesizers. They have uh, guitar, bass, drums, um, and then a whole prop shelf for, uh, what is it, uh, sound effects and stuff. So, like, when the rats are crawling out of things, they had little squeaky toys to make rats and things like that. So, um, when am I going to paint the map on my hex grid behind you? That's a good question. I, I have a stack of tiles here. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish tiling this way and and tile out a little bit more, um, and then maybe we can make a pseudo uh, a pseudo map on the back. That'd be kind of fun. So yeah, fully work. It was really really fun. Lot lots of cool fully work and stuff. Um, oh, and look at kitty. Hi, cat. So they didn't. They had a Nosferatu poster, and then I guess Phantom of the Opera is their third one. I, now that Metropolis is in public domain, I think I want to see them do Metropolis, which would be really cool. But yeah, they tour around. Go look for them. Like, this was one of the coolest things, and the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is super fun. Um, if I were to run a session based on a silent movie, what would I pick? Metropolis or the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, <laughs> I think, would be the two that I would do. So... I don't know. It'd be pretty fun. Like just the art that they came up with was, uh, or the, the before film had sound, they did a really, we're doing really interesting stuff with visuals. Um, and then sound took over and stories went in a different direction until later with kind of like the experimental film. But the cool thing about silent film is that we would make, they would make a film, and it was so easy to send it to anywhere else in the world to watch. You didn't have to redub stuff. You didn't have to do things like that. You just changed out the slides with whatever the native language was. And that, like, in a way, sound kind of ruined that because, like, Germany and Russia were doing really interesting things. And then when, there, when the talkies happened, like... Uh, America kind of dominated making movies, you know, and Italy's always been trying to make movies. They wanted to be like a big movie thing. And eventually they started making like 
bad English movies because they're like, well, if we make it in English, it'll sell. And it's, I don't know, it was just kind of kind of an interesting thing. But whereas before we could have made a whole bunch of really interesting movies and kept them silent. So yeah, Doc, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is, it's public domain. So because of that, you can definitely find it on YouTube for free. And uh, it has a score. I don't know if it has the uh, Invincible Czar's score. But, um, yeah. So, for sure. Uh, I think that's all I wanted to talk about. Uh, as far as game-wise, we're going to run um, Peril of the Purple Planet tomorrow. Um, should be lots of Metallica riffs, yeah. <laughs> So, game on a silent movie. The Potemkin, the first silent movie. Yeah, Great Battleship Potemkin. So, uh, game-wise for me, um, I started a lot of prep for my Plangea 5e game, and it's kind of re-invitalized re me to play 5e again because I was getting a little burnt out from it. Um, but I think I just needed the right setting um, to be excited again, if that makes sense. You know, like I, uh, although the Realms is cool and, and I could... I think if I picked up any 5e game, I probably would have fun running it because I'm very um, very familiar with it. Uh, but I like trying new systems and stuff, and DCC really captured my heart. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. I want to play DCC. So with DCC, uh, we're doing Perils of the Purple Planet, still having a lot of fun there. My players are level 5, going to be level 6 soon. They're kind of in a tight bind where they decided to scale um, an impenetrable fortress full of winged adversaries, which are these like tiefling looking winged creatures that fly using some uh, anti-gravity jetpacks. And they got caught. There's like a whole army of people kind of surrounding them. And that's where we ended where it's like, you have like 16 guys, like what are you gonna do? So I need to prep for that, that's tomorrow. And then I've been prepping for Plangea, which we were going to start uh, today or tomorrow, but then a player dropped and a player is at Disneyland. So I'm going to find out um, if I can get another player to replace them. Otherwise, we might just start with um, four. And four is a great amount of people to play. I just like to include people. So, yeah, there's also uh, – <laughs> sorry, Kromi. I, I know lots of people buy DCC stuff because of my videos and stuff, but – it's so good, so worth it. It's such a fun, fun system, fun game. A little comp, like reading the Dying Earth stuff, I really want to run some of that, but the Dying Earth is um, more complex than base DCC. And base DCC is not a walk in the park. So uh, zero level funnels, very easy, but the higher you get, it's like, oh my goodness. So um, hello, Victor, nice to see you. It's been a while. We, yes, and the Drow Patreon game. That needs to happen. I'm just slow. Uh, so Plangea, working on that, working on things. I don't know if you guys realized, uh, you should follow me on um, itch. So we go to jorfton.itch.io. Um, the uh, Mechagoons is there. And I'm I'm working on some layout updates for Mechagoons. And Mechagoons is free, so go get it and check it out. Let me know. Uh, I saw one group of people played it. They let me know that they played it and they really enjoyed it. Um, but I made another one called Logistical Locks, which is a lock-picking mechanic kind of like sub-mini game that I enjoyed um, building and running. And so for me, it was like, I don't know what the DC of certain locks should be. I don't know about this. And so this was a way to like generate a DC, but also incorporate that DC with traps and things like that. So, uh, if you're interested, it's $4, but if you're on a patron, um, it's free for patrons. It's just on there and you should go, go, go check it out. And then let me know what you think. Um, if you're interesting, I guess I'm shilling stuff now, but Logisto Mechagoons was a dabbling in game design. Logistical Locks was a dabbling in, well, I guess game design as well, but a dabbling in um, layout. I wanted to learn how to like use Affinity, um, what, are, what is the software called? Affinity Publisher 2, and actually like learn how to lay things out and stuff. Um, and I think it turned out pretty well. I, I am happy with it. So I, I like the, the final layout.
It was a lot of fun. Um, that's it. I think that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I can answer any questions in the next, like, five minutes. <laughs> Affinity 2 is nice. And one of the things about Affinity Publisher 2 is that it is uh, a one-purchase buy. Um, I know that Adobe is awesome and, and holds... But Adobe and all of those subscription ones are getting um, frustrated. Is that uh, I don't like, I don't like that um, everything's a subscription based now. I kind of just want to be able to buy the software and use it. So, uh, yeah. Buster Keaton, very good with silent movies. Um, my favorite color is green. Always has been. I love it. I don't have a lot of green on right now, but um, it is green. Do I run games online or offline? Chromie, I run most of my games offline. Um, the If I'm playing with just my friends, I want to play at the table because I like the table more. If I'm playing, uh, if I'm streaming something, uh, that is a different type of game. And, and no offense to streamers and streaming. Like, it is lots of fun for them. But I think... My play style lends well to not having the stress to, like, perform. So I uh, I think it's the performer in me is like, oh, this has to be interesting. This has to be this. And, like, oh, I'm, I'm making content or I'm making podcasts or I'm making all that. And uh, that alone can be very, very fun. But sometimes I just want to play a game with my friends. And so, yeah. Um, Moa Peach, I have, uh, I have both. So we have uh, a couple dogs and I have my cat Felix. So, yeah. The most evocative creature type in 5e? The evocator? I don't know. Thank you so much, guys, for watching uh, and listening at home. Thank you, uh, uh, I guess, everybody. I think Lucian will be back next week. And we'll get back on a kind of a regular show. But these solo shows have been fun. So I kind of like them. Maybe I'll start a... It'd be kind of fun to do a weekly or monthly news roundup slash Kickstarter highlight, maybe over on the Jocular Junction or something. But um, yeah, thanks so much for watching, everybody. And I'll be here next week, and I'll see you guys all uh, next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. Later.